0: Jesse, I cannot believe that guy thought he was that good of an actor to get away with it last week. What's the story this week? When a married pair of
1: well-respected Orange County doctors are found shot to death in their car, the police struggle to find a motivation for the senseless crime, until they meet a person who was just a little too close to one of the victims. I'm Andy Cassette. And I'm Jesse Prey. And this is Love Murder.
0: hi andy hi jesse
1: welcome back everyone to love murder a podcast about bad people worse
0: ideas and love gone fatally wrong you can find love murder on twitter and instagram at love murder pod and on facebook by searching love murder podcast And as always, if you enjoy this show, please love slash murder a five-star rating on your
1: podcast app. Subscribe and review to help new people discover the show. Thanks again for all of your lovely reviews. We adore you. And we also adore our new patrons. Again, guys, we are just getting rolling and we appreciate all of you who have started with us in these last couple weeks. So we are thrilled to do some shout outs today.
0: Megan F, Aubrey C, and Lori M, Megan R, Trisha, and Chips Ahoy Tracker One, Camilla Bell, MNB, Christy B, Bianca, Jennifer W, and Ebony A, Heather G, Lauren S, Leanne H,
1: and finally, Jennifer A, Mindy H, and Aaliyah. Thank you guys all so much. We love you. And we are actually going to be planning our watch party soon. So definitely we will be on top of that and be sending out some information via Patreon soon. I must have had California on my mind because this week we are back in Orange County on the 25th, I'll be flying in to hang out with my dear friend Hannah and actually going to Orange County. (laughs) And then as Andy knows, I will be back in LA to hang out with you and do some cool podcast stuff before we go to CrimeCon.
0: I cannot believe. I mean, I don't know when that is even in relation to this podcast, but it's either during or soon after. So I'm very excited. I'm thrilled. So a couple quick
1: things, guys. Number one, Andy and I will let patrons know soon what we are watching and when we are watching something for the April Watch Party. We're going to do it together. So it's going to be that last week of April, probably at the end of
0: that week. So like 27th, 28th.
1: Yeah, so we will keep you guys posted. We'll send a note through Patreon. And number two, if you are going to CrimeCon, please DM us or email us at lovers at lovemurder.love. This is the first one that Andy and I have ever been to. We do not know what to expect. The only thing I've heard is to expect craziness. So with that being said, I think that rather than trying to plan a meetup ahead of time, we'll probably keep you guys posted via Instagram or Facebook about our whereabouts
0: and let you know where to meet us. Yeah. I mean, we just I feel like no one has no idea what to expect. So I feel like that's gonna be the most accurate way to figure out where to hang. But we're definitely gonna be at the booth one day.
1: Yes. And again, definitely email us so we can put you on a a special group email or something so we can keep track of each other. All right. I think that was plenty of housekeeping. What do you say we get on to today's
0: case, Andy? I mean, it's about time, Jesse.
1: Orange County, California is world-renowned for its gorgeous vistas, multi-million dollar mansions, and of course, being the first Real Housewives franchise. But on a dusty stretch of Ortega Highway in November of 1999, there was nary an infinity pool or diamond-crusted housewife to be seen. Instead, this stretch of Ortega Highway has become famous for reasons most depraved. It's where freeway killer William Bonin dumped the bodies of three of his estimated 21 victims and also where serial killer Randy Kraft allegedly left the first of at least 45 victims. Wow. Sadly, over the years, many other one-off murderers have carried on the macabre tradition. It's a really actually pretty area. It's just slightly rural for Orange County, so it's a place where you can go and not be seen. Okay. But as Tony Castillo, a deputy of security for a nearby 23,000-acre ranch, approached a silver car parked on the side of the desolate one-lane highway, he didn't have murder in mind. He figured it was a driver sleeping off a bender or some teenagers making out. It was a little past 10.30 on a Saturday night, so kind of the exact right time for those sort of hijinks. Yeah. Except when he pulled up behind the car, Tony noticed in the white light of his beams that the passenger door was open and there was a foot sticking out, not moving. The four-door Dodge Stratus' engine was still running and broken glass glittered on the pavement below. Inside the car, he could see two people a man slumped over in the driver's seat, a woman next to him, her foot out the door and her head lying near the man's legs. Both people were eerily silent. There was no breathing, no moaning, just stillness. Tony Castillo immediately called the Orange County Sheriff's Department and the paramedics and firefighters reached the remote locale in less than 15 minutes. They opened the car doors to reveal that the man, still strapped into his seatbelt, had two gaping wounds, one in the back of his head and one to his right eye. The female was absolutely riddled with bullets. Oh my God. It was not a pretty sight. The passenger side of the car was covered with blood and it had even been smeared on the exterior rear passenger door the woman's high heel shoe was left by the rear tire as well and it it appeared that she had been shot attempted to flee the car and then potentially somebody had come around the other side to ambush her cuz she then retreated back into the car okay the couple was middle aged and nicely dressed as though out for a night on the town drivers licenses found positively identified the pair as dr kenneth Stahl, a 57 year old anesthesiologist and his wife, Carolyn, an optometrist. Her ID revealed that she had been killed on the day after her 44th birthday. The couple lived in nearby Huntington Beach. Carolyn had expensive diamond and gold jewelry still on her body. She had diamond gold earrings. She was wearing bracelets. She had a diamond encrusted watch and a nice engagement ring. All of the money and credit cards were accounted for in their respective wallets. So burglary as a motive was immediately ruled out. Okay. A gun was also not found at the scene. So that ruled out a murder-suicide. Someone had callously executed a pair of doctors, people who had devoted their entire lives to healing others, upstanding citizens in one of the most affluent counties in the United States. But why? In order to start pulling on the threads that would ultimately reveal the murderer or murderers, the police would have to delve into the stall's personal lives and discover that even in Orange County, all that glitters may not be gold. Jesse. <laughs> so let's start digging as well. And we're going to do a little age before beauty here and start with the Dr. Ken stall. Ken was born on February 15th, 1942, in Pomona, California, son of a prominent surgeon named William and his nurse wife, Bobby. Ken was described in his youth as a super straight arrow. He was a regular attendee of a Baptist church, he was gifted in sports as well as academics. He ended up getting a football scholarship to college where he achieved a bachelor's of science degree and followed that up with medical school at the Kansas City College of Osteopathic Medicine. Ken became an anesthesiologist and moved back home to Southern California after a few years of practice in the Midwest. Though his professional goal was to remove pain, it sure seemed like he doled it out in his personal life. By his early 30s, he was twice divorced and rarely saw his only son a product of his first marriage. Apparently, he had cheated on wife one with wife two, but wife two annulled the marriage after only three months. Ooh, not good. Not good. Ken suffered from both metaphorical and literal heart problems around this time. At age 35, he had a coronary bypass, but it hadn't spared him a heart attack only two years later when he was 37. Oof, so young. So Ken's father had died at a relatively young age due to heart disease. So this was absolutely genetic. As a result, Ken took very, very good care of his body. He ate clean. He worked out almost obsessively. But it was to no avail because his heart condition was like a ticking time bomb. Oh, God. So you can't outrun your genetics sometimes. In July of 1999, only four months before his murder, Ken had undergone a quintuple bypass surgery. Oh, my God. And he was, I think, 57 at the time of his death. It's a lot. That's a lot of surgeries and a couple heart attacks already as well. Around the time of his first major heart attack, Ken had met Carolyn, a vivacious brunette optometrist. Carolyn was born on November 19th, 1955, and had been raised in Michigan. She was warm and loving, and she enjoyed a very close relationship with her mother and sister, as well as colleagues and friends who considered her like a sister. And there's one of her colleagues, a fellow doctor, who speaks about her on a show that I watched. I'm gonna give you guys my references now. There's a show called The Real Murders of Orange County. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And uh, I I probably could find a ton of cases from that show. It is on Oxygen. And this episode was season one, episode five. And then there's a book by Michael Fleeman. And I'm not going to give you the name yet because it might give too much away. So it's another Michael Fleeman book. He's got to be our most used author
0: at this point. Yeah, for sure.
1: So yeah, so there was one of her colleagues was on the Real Murders of the OC show and she had pictures of when they were young together, up-and-coming doctors, and she said she was just the warmest, kindest, most loving woman. Carolyn had one failed marriage under her belt when she befriended Ken in the 1980s. The ex-husband had been unfaithful and had essentially completely ghosted the marriage. He peaced out, left her, and essentially sent divorce paperwork in the mail. Wow. Such a scummy thing to do. They made it sound on the show like he didn't even give her a conversation
0: at all. Oh my goodness. Come on.
1: As a result, she really took her time getting to know and vetting potential future partners from then on. So Ken and Carolyn were actually friends for nearly six years before things turned romantic and the two doctors moved in together. Carolyn and Ken appreciated each other's professional drive and they fit really, really well with each other's families. That was a huge driving point in their relationship. Carolyn also liked that Ken took care of himself and was athletically inclined. The couple married just after midnight on New Year's Day, 1988, in Las Vegas and settled into a pretty fun dink lifestyle, which is dual income, no kids. (laughs) That's what they call dinks stop yep i mean wow. think about
0: how much money and time you'd have if you had seriously. two incomes and no kids seriously and it's like it's her second marriage you know so it's and it's his third
1: and by the time i think they were married his son from the first marriage was nearly grown at that point or at least at this time frame that we're getting into now And it didn't sound like, no offense to Ken, it didn't sound like he was at all an involved father anyway. So they have nothing but time and money at this point. They loved outdoorsy vacations. They went Colorado river rafting and they did a lot of backpacking trips to Montana where Ken owned a cabin. They were a warm couple with people particularly taken with Carolyn. She was like an angel, so nice that it was almost sickening, said a longtime doctor friend of the couple, She was just so sweet, everything from her voice to her demeanor to her actions. So you can imagine how this shocking double murder affected all who knew and cared for the stalls. Yeah, yeah. So everyone was surprised that this happened. You don't think it happens to people you know. And there was a big outcry in the community to get answers. Obviously, just because of the socioeconomics of who was murdered, their wealthy white doctors getting killed in a double murder, is always going to generate more attention than if it had been a sex worker or a person of color, clearly. So there's a lot of heat on this, as well as the fact that the community is frightened. If there's no motive, like burglary or anything that they can, you know, connect personally to this upstanding couple, then that means it was potentially random violence that could happen to anyone at any point. Yeah, hysteria. What the detectives were left with after the first 24 hours of investigation was a big fat nothing. Oh no. Yeah, which we all know is the most crucial time in an investigation is the first 48 hours. They found no footprints, no fingerprints, no tire impressions, a big fat nothing. Wow. The killer had actually also taken the shell casings, so they didn't even have those. So they had to turn to the autopsy looking for any hope of some answers. And they found that Ken had been six feet tall and 192 pounds. He had been shot three times. He was shot twice in the chest and once through the back of the head. That other wound had been actually the exit wound from the one shot. One of the bullets broke apart one of the chest bullets in his chest and it tore open both lungs and his aorta. It appeared that Ken had died after bleeding out for several minutes after the attack. It was also apparent that had Ken not been murdered, his heart might have killed him not much after. Like I said, he had only had heart surgery four months prior, but already his aorta was severely clogged. Oh my goodness. It would have been his heart eventually to kill him if it hadn't been whoever put these bullets in him. So Carolyn was 5'8 and 220 pounds. And the detectives noted that her weight was 75 pounds over her listed weight on her driver's license, which hadn't been renewed that long ago. Okay. Which will play into something about their relationship, which I'll tell you about later. And sweet Carolyn had been shot so many times that it was hard for even the pathologist to determine what wounds were exit or entrance wounds. Oh, my God. It was estimated that she was shot somewhere between six and maybe 11 times. Well, they just had no idea, huh? It was, like I said, riddled with bullets. And so their theory about what happened to her was it seemed like she had been shot. Maybe the shooter had shot Ken, and then shot her through so Ken's window had been open so they think maybe they shot Ken cuz he seems to he was still wearing a seatbelt so he obviously didn't expect it and then shot her through the window but she survived and managed to get out of the car and she was bleeding profusely so there's blood on the ground there's blood on the rear of the car of the passenger side and her shoe is by the rear tire and then potentially The killer might have walked around the car. And at that point, she tried to get back in the car. And it looked like what finally killed her is while she was trying to get back in the car. The shooter put two bullets to the back of her head. And that is what unfortunately ultimately killed her. Then they put her back in the car? Well, she was like kind of trying to get back in the car when they shot her. So she just slumped over on Ken's lap at that point. That is at least their theory going into this based on the bullets found in the bodies because they didn't have the shell casings or anything else, they believed that there was three possible guns that could have done this. It was a 38 Special, a Smith & Wesson 357 Magnum, or a Taurus 357 Revolver. Well, so they've narrowed it down to three types of guns, but that's, that's about it. There's nothing else. The only thing else that they could maybe think of was that Ken's window was rolled down. He was still wearing his seatbelt. So it appeared that he hadn't been frightened as this person approached the car. So they were like, maybe he knew them or it could be somebody that he was expecting to see, like if it had been a cop or something pulled him over. It would just be somebody that he didn't seem scared of if his window was rolled down, his seatbelt's on and he didn't seem scared. And they thought that maybe this was somebody who was experienced in killing or criminality because they knew to take the spent shell casings. The only piece of witness testimony that they had was a woman who had driven by the scene on her way to work, and she had witnessed a small white car pull up to the Stalls' car after doing a U-turn. So she had assumed when she was just driving by that the stalls car had stalled out or something had happened it broken down and that this person with the white car was somebody coming to help them and she didn't she didn't get really the make or model or anything because she didn't think it was a murder at that point so that's it all they've got wow. was that there was a small white car at some point had some
0: connection to the stalls yeah so still nada
1: Still Nada. So the detectives would have to do a lot of interviewing to figure out what could have possibly been the motive to kill this seemingly happy professional couple. But once they started digging in and interviewing Carolyn's family, their coworkers, Ken's friends, etc., they realized that the marriage had been far from perfect. Oh, here we go. In fact, it had been a downright terrible marriage, despite appearances to the contrary. Well, first of all, the wedding had only happened in the first place because Carolyn had issued an ultimatum. Oh. Which is not always the best way to start a marriage. Ken had been opposed to marrying for a third time, but he gave in mostly due to the fact that his beloved mother absolutely adored Carolyn, and his mother was like, you're not going to do any better than this incredible woman. His whole family loved her. Like Ken's cousin talks about Carolyn in the book about how warm and loving and wonderful she was. So everyone adored her. And I think he was getting a lot of pressure from his family. And Carolyn was like, look, we've been friends for six years. We've been living together for a year. We're not spring chickens. Let's just get married. And so that was why they got married when they did. Midway through their 14-year marriage, Carolyn had come home early from a work trip to discover a woman lounging in a state of undress in their house. Uh, I would not be okay. I wouldn't even wait for an excuse. I'd have her by the roots of the hair. Ugh. This would be the first of at least three or four more affairs that Ken had. Oh, and those, those were only the ones Carolyn found out about. So there could have been countless
0: more. Dude.
1: Come on. As the years went by, Ken became more callous and he hid this illicit behavior even less. Carolyn's sister said he developed almost the like, well, this is how I'm going to be. You don't like it. Leave attitude. So rude. So rude. Especially because she had such a hard first marriage, too. Well, Carolyn became rightfully paranoid. I don't think you can really call it paranoid when it's happening. And as a result, she began going through his things all the time. So she was going through his address book, trying to answer his phone, going through his pager, going through his pockets, the whole nine yards. And this led to a lot of conflicts, including one fight in which Ken allegedly Hit Carolyn or grabbed her so roughly that it left bruising all over her arms and hips. Ooh,
0: not, not okay.
1: Yeah, and we've got two older professionals each make a very good living here. They have no children together. This is a classic. Just get a divorce case. Yeah, what are you guys holding on to? Yeah, I mean, there. This is a lot of times we talk about these you know socioeconomic issues that especially women face in marriages where they stay home with the kids and they don't have their own income stream and there's no choice for yeah, or them. you have kids and you don't want to exactly there's a there's so many reasons why people don't leave or don't get divorced but in this case it seems pretty clear that you should yeah I guess Carolyn was determined to work things out because of her failed first marriage. Yeah. And people said that she was genuinely in love with Ken. She didn't want to leave him. She just wanted him to be a good husband. It's just heartbreaking when you're like, I love you so much. Why can't you just
0: love me even a quarter as much as I love you and make this work? Yeah. Also, like, when you give someone an ultimatum to marry you, I'm sure there's a little bit more of that fire you know, yeah. burning like you gotta, you gotta keep it on. You gotta keep it together. Ugh, absolutely. For Ken's part, it seemed that he was loath to part with
1: a big chunk of his pension as he was approaching retirement age. He didn't want to have to
0: give Carolyn anything. Ugh, my God, come on.
1: Yeah, and he, and there was like another small part of it, which was obviously she was the greatest thing that ever happened to him romantically, according to his friends and family. So. He would have looked bad leaving her. And I think his family would have been disappointed.
0: Yeah. For good reason.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for good reason. Because you're throwing away a good thing, brah. The result was a couple who was trapped in a doomed and destructive cycle. Ken cheated. Carolyn snooped. He grew cold and angry. And she began to compulsively eat
0: and shop to fill the hole in her life and heart. That's exactly what I thought you were going to say
1: yeah and I totally understand that you know I've
0: definitely had some compulsive eating when I've gone through hard things in my life because I think most people have some sort of compulsive behavior that happens when there's when everything else they've lost is, is of. falling apart, yeah, yeah, so yeah, she did that, and also shopping was the same type of thing. I love shopping when everything's falling apart, which is really bad because you're obviously spending money. It's not bad for them, but for most people, it's like oh.
1: Well, this was bad for them, actually, though. Okay, was it so much shopping? It was so much shopping. So when the police went to search their apartment, they found that Carolyn had $30,000 of new clothes with tags still on in her closet. Oh, my God. In, that's 1999. So in today's money, that's more like $50,000.
0: That's so much clothing. Is it like normal price stuff or did she do designer stuff?
1: It was like designer stuff. She had nice things, but it was really a mix. It was a true, you know, shopping type of addiction where it's going all the way from high end to dollar store craziness, you know? Was it
0: like organized or was it just like in bags? It was pretty organized, fairly organized.
1: Yeah. And that was just the stuff that still had tags on it. I'm sure she bought a lot more that she actually cut the tags off or wore. The Stalls' finances were a total mess. They had recently had to downgrade from their nearly million-dollar home to a Huntington Beach condo, and they were in a ton of debt—way, way, way more debt than two middle-aged doctors with no dependents should have had. Yeah. When the cops dug in, they also realized that shortly before the murders, Ken had taken out twenty thousand dollars in cash, and no—yeah—and no one knew. What it had gone to, it had clearly not gone towards their credit card like debt. At one time, at one time he had taken it from the bank, like all at once. Did he have to bring like a suitcase? I don't. I do not know. I do know that they were looking for this one specific twenty thousand dollar withdrawal because his assistant, his accountant, his sister, his close friends, no one knew what he could possibly have needed that type of money in cash for. Yeah, that's a lot of cash. So they're definitely, they flagged that one. They're like, well, let's flag that one and see if we can follow where that money went somehow. As soon a couple people came out of the woodwork when the murders were reported in the media. And they said, we're going to get into who said this, but a couple people said that Ken had not only been unfaithful, he had also wanted Carolyn to die. (gasps) Ah. An ex-affair partner told the police that Ken was depressed and that he had told her that his wife was blackmailing him to stay married, that she threatened to take him for everything if he divorced her. So he was depressed and he felt like he couldn't leave the marriage. And on many occasions, he told this woman he was having an affair with that if he did kill himself, he would kill Carolyn first. Next, an electrician and handyman named Chris Anaya came forward to tell the authorities that he had become friends with Ken after doing some electrical work for him. Chris had been in a gang from the ages of 13 to 19, and he still had tattoos from those days. So one day he was at Ken's house doing some work, and he was wearing a tank top, and Ken started asking him about his tats, and he told him the truth. He said, you know, I was involved with gangs in my youth, and I saw some really heavy shit. But eventually I found God. I got the strength to extricate myself from that. for him. That's really hard to do. He went straight. He started a family. He started his own business. You know, he became an electrician. I mean, really, really, really impressive. So Kenneth liked to ask Chris about days from when he was in a gang and, you know, stories that he had. You know, obviously... People who have no idea about that lifestyle love to hear about it. I mean, we're doing a true crime podcast, so here we are. So, you know, Chris didn't really think anything of that. He just thought that it was like such a crazy thing for this middle-aged doctor to imagine. Yeah. But after the two had become kind of chummy, it was about like a year after their first meeting, Ken called Chris one night and said that he had an electrical emergency. There was an alarm alarm going off that he could not shut down and he couldn't figure out why, he said. But well, when Chris got there, it didn't seem like the alarm was having a problem. And in fact, eventually it came out that Ken wanted to talk about something else completely. Ugh. He brought up <laughs> the fact that his wife was making his life a living hell and he needed someone to take care of her. Seeing as Chris had been in a gang... Maybe he knew just that someone to do the job.
0: Wow. Wow. So rude. It is just so disrespectful. Well, Chris handled
1: himself very well. At first, he told the police that he looked at Ken. He's like, oh, you're joking, right? You're joking, man. And when Ken said, no, I'm serious, Chris just asked him to pray with him. So this is what... Michael Fleeman in his book said happened according to Chris. I'll pray with you about it, man, said Chris. Get a divorce. Just (gasps) get a divorce. Chris, good job. If things aren't going right with you, man, you just need to get a divorce. She'll try to take me for everything that I have, said Ken, and I'll really have nothing. Again, Chris said, let's pray. And that's what they did, both of them. Chris asked the Lord to change Ken's heart to help work things out. Over and over again, Chris told Ken, ask the Lord into your heart if you really want to change. And Ken asked the Lord to come into his heart to help him change. They prayed for about a half hour and it did seem to help, Chris said. Guy, you're right, Ken said. I should have never asked you that. Oh, Chris, I'm so sorry. You're a good friend of mine. I should have never done that to you. It was the last time Chris ever saw Dr. Ken Stall.
0: What a dirt bag. So then he's out of a job too. Because of you being a...
1: Although I have to say, I love that this guy was trying to get a murder happening. And instead, this guy's like, nah, nah, son, we're going to pray for 30 minutes. Oh, my God. That's like... like What
0: was Ken thinking while they were praying? Was he like, oh, man, I fucked this one up really hard? Yeah, he was probably fuming. He's like, oh, man, the only person that could help me with this. Such a dirtbag. Like, it goes beyond how completely rude it is to just ask him that question. And then now he can't provide for his family from that job.
1: Yeah, I think he had, fortunately, a lot of other work. But it is, it's very insulting that this man had had the integrity to get himself out of a gang and to build this wonderful life for himself. And this bougie doctor is like, can you kill my wife for me?
0: Do your own dirty work, dude. Like, you're gross. According to the
1: real murders of Orange County, he had offered Chris or an associate of Chris's $75,000 to take care of Carolyn.
0: Oh my God.
1: So clearly Ken wanted Carolyn dead. So at this point, the police are like, well, maybe he did hire a hitman to kill both of them. Yeah. Maybe that's where that $20,000 went. Maybe he paid somebody 20 grand or 20 grand was part of a payment. And he was like, come, I'll be on the highway at this point and Come shoot me and my wife. Which again, at this point, if you're going to lose your life, also just get a divorce. Who cares if she takes all your money? You're alive. Yeah. yeah. I
0: don't think that was the intention of. No. He's a, it was too, he's a little too, you know,
1: full of himself
0: here. So they're like, even if
1: that is the case, though, they need to find out who else was connected to Ken and speaking to him in the days up to the murder. So they reviewed Ken's phone records and pager, and they found quite a few calls and pages to and from a woman named Adriana Vasco. When the detectives called Adriana, she claimed that she was a longtime friend of Ken's and that he had been helping her fix her computer, hence the increase in communication directly before the murders. The detectives believed that there was more to the story and arranged a follow-up in-person interview where they found that Adriana was a petite 32-year-old single mother with large expressive brown eyes, curly brunette hair, and a tiny five-foot frame. Adriana said that she and Ken had connected years earlier when they both worked at a medical center together, him as an anesthesiologist and Adriana as a receptionist. She agreed it might seem surprising that the two had become close friends due to their large age gap, which was about 25 years, But the two had grown very close. Ken was a friend, mentor, father figure, and even a savior, she said. So who is this Adriana Vasco? Adriana was born in Mexico in 1967 to a single mother. She had an extremely rough childhood. She claimed to have been a product of rape and as a result had never met her biological father Her mother was physically abusive and her stepfather sexually abused her as well. Oh my God. And it also sounded like at some point her mother essentially abandoned her, leaving her completely parentless. By herself in her late teens, she immigrated to the United States and there she met and married a man named Victor. The couple had a baby boy together But she said that Victor changed after the baby's birth and became terribly abusive towards Adriana as well. Ken had noticed the young mother limping at work and attempting to cover her bruises after a beating from her husband. And Adriana said that he had offered to help her. So he was like, I will help you with pain relief to get through this. I'll help set you up with doctors, but I'll also give you money to get into a motel right away with your son. And I'll help you with housing until you can get a divorce and a restraining order. So she did that. And she said that that's when obviously they got very, very close because she was so deeply grateful yep. for his assistance. And she said to this day, you know, he helped her with cash occasionally because they did tell her, you know, we're going to be looking through all of his financial records. Yeah you know, is there something you want to tell us? Was he still giving you money? And she said, oh my gosh, yes. Like he would help me if my car broke down. He would get it fixed for me. He'd give me money for this, for that. He was really, truly a very generous friend. However, she denied that they had been at all romantically or sexually involved.
0: Come on, (laughs)
1: come on. And she also said that she had no idea what this 20 grand was about because they did ask her pointedly about that. Did he give you that money? And she said he had never given her that much money. The police, just like you, Andrea, were very skeptical that this was the extent of their relationship. Their
0: exchange. Yeah, they are kind of like, not to be crass, but (laughs) what does Ken get out of this relationship? Because it seems like he always does want something.
1: Uh Uh-huh. This is not, this guy wasn't, you know, volunteering at a soup kitchen in his (laughs) off time and the animal shelter and just going around doing good deeds. So what was he getting? Well, Adriana claimed that Ken didn't like other doctors or, you know, people who were hoity-toity. He found them to be too fake and he preferred befriending regular people like her.
0: Oh my God.
1: (sighs) Furthermore, she said that Ken absolutely hated his wife and had very few people that he could vent to about it. She said just as Ken was a safe space for her, she was a safe space for him. Adriana said that Ken's marriage issues were driving him to suicidal thoughts. She told the police he wanted to divorce her. He didn't like her. I mean, if you would know him, he was very gentle, very caring. At that, her voice started cracking and this was the first but not the last time she would cry in this interview. Okay. The kind of person you'd think would not even hurt a fly. She was not very nice to him towards the end. He was suicidal. He did talk a lot about suicide. Adriana said she urged him to see a counselor get a divorce, anything to make his life better. And she said that he said, I already did. And I told her she could keep the house. She could keep everything, but she won't let it go. He said he went to talk to a lawyer, but because they had been married over 10 years, she was entitled to, I don't know, I guess his retirement, his pension. I have no idea because his concern was the money. You know, he said that she was out to get him for every cent she could. She then burst into tears again. Did this really happen? She cried, I'm sorry. It's just my whole world has just collapsed. He was my hero. He was my father, my motivation, you know, my strive to keep going. He was the only person that really believed in me. He was the only person that was here for me and that I could count on and be, you know, like my family. She said that when she read the newspaper articles about the couple, how people were saying Carolyn was so wonderful Adriana grew upset because she said, I got to see her, you know, the other side of her. So she went on to tell the detectives that basically Carolyn had harassed her, was calling her, was like trying to meet up with her potentially because she believed that Adriana was having an affair with Ken. Okay. Okay. At this point, the detectives were like, come on you got to just tell us you were having an affair because you say you love him. His wife thinks you're having an affair. You're crying. You're crying. He's giving you money. Uh, You you just we're going to find out eventually. So why don't you just tell us the truth? So at that point, she's like, yes, we were having an affair for a couple years. So she said that, It did grow sexual and romantic some weeks after she got out of her marriage and that they had been together for a while and that she had truly loved him and she would have been with him in a more respectable way had he left Carolyn. So when he refused to leave Carolyn, she finally broke it off. But when she broke it off, she was so upset about breaking it off that she actually had a full-on mental breakdown, she told this to the police, and she had to check herself into a psychiatric hospital. Okay. Now, this is a woman who got herself out of a terrible situation, was a teenager, tough as nails, who got herself into the United States, immigrated by herself after a terrible childhood. I have a hard time believing that she truly was having a full-on meltdown about this loser leaving her. I think that it was a ploy for him to maybe leave his wife. Like I'm going to, she's going to act suicidal so that he will maybe actually do something and leave his wife for her.
0: That's my gut feeling. Okay. And this is with no guidance of any sort of like legal? No, she's just talking to them. Yep. She
1: has no attorney. She's just, she's not even a suspect at this point. She's just, they're trying to figure out who was in Ken's life at this point. So she said all of that, but she said that while she was in the psychiatric hospital, she met a guy named Greg. They fell for each other. They ended up having an unplanned pregnancy.
0: Oh, my God. In the psychiatric hospital? I don't think that the pregnancy happened there. Okay. um, But that's how they
1: met. And then they continued to see each other outside of the hospital. Okay. Yeah. And, And so she said that when she took up with Greg, she remained friends with Ken. But that was when the romantic and sexual stuff stopped. Yep. Got it. And so the relationship with Greg hadn't worked out. They had a beautiful baby girl together who at the time of this police interview was two and a half years old. Greg and her had parted ways, but she was actually very close to Greg's parents. They were called the Stuarts and she actually lived with them with her two children. Though Adriana swore her daughter was Greg's and not Ken's, the detective couldn't help, you know, noticing the timeline and thinking, Maybe Greg found out something about his daughter's paternity. He lost his shit. He decided to kill Ken and Carolyn had just been collateral damage. Okay. Maybe that's a motive, but they did some investigation and it didn't seem very likely. There was absolutely no physical evidence tying Greg to the scene. And I do believe he had an alibi. So though there was still some suspicion cast Adriano's way, she was mostly dropped from the suspect list too because she didn't benefit from Ken's death at all. She was not in his will. There was no life insurance benefit for her. And Ken was still regularly giving her money at that point. So yeah. he was, in fact, worth way more to her alive than dead. So unfortunately, after this, the case got kind of buried, it was bounced around to four different detectives before it finally landed on the desk of a veteran narcotics detective who had just transferred to homicide. His name was Phil Villalobos, and he had his work cut out for him. The case had essentially gone cold after nearly a year. Reviewing the case file, Detective Villalobos theorized that there were three possible motivations for the double murder. One was maybe business reasons. Obviously, he was in a lot of debt. Maybe he had started doing some insurance scam type things that doctors do. Maybe he had tried to do something shady for business, but that actually was a dead end. There was no evidence that he had been involved in any of that. Okay. Number two was the fact that he might have been actually suicidal and had decided to take out himself and his wife the way he had told an ex-affair partner that he was going to. And like I said, maybe that 20 grand went to the hitman. Or number three, it really truly was just a random attack, which would be the worst case scenario because that is nearly impossible to solve if it is 100% truly random. Detective Villalobos reviewed the phone records again and saw that Ken had talked to Adriana five times on the day of his murder, including one time that would seem to be mere minutes before he was likely murdered. She was also self-admittedly the bad doctor's secret keeper and lover. If anyone was going to unlock this mystery, it certainly seemed like she was the place to start. Yeah. (laughs) So... This time around, Villa Lobos managed to get a lot more details about Adriana and Ken's strange relationship and where baby daddy Greg fit in. She claimed that Greg was completely understanding about Ken's involvement in her life and ultimately benefited from Ken's generosity as well. Greg had addiction issues and Ken would often give him money that was primarily for Adriana and the baby, but Greg used to skim off the top to buy drugs. Oh, (laughs) no.
0: Not okay.
1: Not okay. Greg had no jealousy because he was getting something out of Of this arrangement. And Adriana said that she would not look at Greg, though, for the murder because he really wasn't jealous of Ken at all. So Villa Lobos went hard at Adriana. We're going to talk about, there's a couple different interviews and she was grilled. I mean, really, really grilled. He had a, a strong gut instinct that she was either involved or she just knew a lot more than what she was saying. Yeah. And she cried a ton. Like this will be a common theme too. She, When cornered, she cries. So she is crying, but she continued to deny that she knew anything about who had killed Ken and Carolyn, she also did refuse to take a polygraph. Okay, not a good sign. Not a great sign. Eventually, Detective Villalobos and his partner did let her go, but they had an ace up their sleeve. Adriana was driving on a suspended license following a DUI she had received only a month before the murders. The detectives offered to follow her home ostensibly because she was so emotionally distraught and had been crying so much. But really, it was so they could officially report her driving on a suspended license, therefore giving them a free arrest pass anytime they wanted. But they also got another nice little bonus out of this. Adriana drove a white Mazda sedan that looked exactly like the car the eyewitnesses had described pulling up to the stalls car. Oh, my God. So they followed her home to the Stewart's house where she was still living and found baby daddy Greg at his parents' home as well. Greg agreed to be questioned by Villa Lobos outside the house while his partner questioned Greg's mother inside. Now, Greg was looking kind of good for this. He did have supposedly an alibi, but he also had drug issues, mental health issues, uh, he had a history of petty crime and his parents were big gun collectors. So there were available firearms everywhere and of the type that could have been the murder weapon. Oh my goodness. Not looking great for Greg. Not
0: looking great.
1: But to Villa Lobos's surprise, Greg was actually warm and very open and honest. He did not appear to be deceptive or worried or anxious at all while being questioned. When asked who he should be looking for, who you know, who Greg would think maybe committed the murders. Yep. Greg surprised the heck out of him when he said quickly
0: and very definitively, pony. Jesse, you know what that sound is? That's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. You love Shopify. I do. I've spent the last 10 years running small businesses, and Shopify has been an essential part of the journey. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big businesses, so upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. I've always been super impressed by how much
1: Shopify simplifies some of the biggest challenges for small business owners and gives
0: business owners from down the street to around the globe the tools they need to succeed. Honestly, it's amazing. They allow you to build your own website essentially from scratch with all of these different formats and themes that you can pick. It allows you to keep track of your shipping, get discounted rates with UPS. I mean, the the list is endless. I could talk about it all day.
1: With Shopify, you can reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and
0: apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. You can synchronize your online and in-person sales and gain insights as you grow with detailed reporting of conversion rates, profit margins, and beyond. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. And for our listeners,
1: we're thrilled to share that you can go to shopify.com lovemurder for a free
0: 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com lovemurder right now. That's shopify.com slash lovemurder.
1: Now, six detectives had been working on this case for over a year at this point, and not once had the name Tony ever come up. So they're like, who? Who is this Tony person? So Greg agreed to have a follow-up interview at the police station the next day. Oh, my gosh. Greg said that after he and Adriana had officially split up, she had temporarily moved into an apartment complex in Anaheim where she met a no-good boyfriend named Tony.
0: Oh, no, no no-good boyfriend.
1: Yes. So he claimed that Ken and Adriana had never stopped seeing each other. He okay. said that he believed there was still some romantic aspect to their relationship even when she was pregnant with Greg's baby. But he looked the other way and he admitted that Ken would routinely give him anywhere from 500 to $2,500. Would give Tony? No, would give Greg. Okay. So Greg's okay. like going back in this interview yeah. and he's explaining how this all went down. So he's yeah, like- it's a lot to keep track of. For, it's a lot to keep track of. Yeah. So, you know, he realized that he came into- His relationship with Adriana while she was already having this relationship with Ken. Yeah. And then, you know, they broke up and she moved into this apartment complex and she met this other guy. But Greg said that while they were still together and still trying to make it work for the baby, he routinely hung out with Ken. I think maybe Ken was using drugs with them as well because Greg said that very often Ken brought up killing his wife in a way that Greg said was like hypothetical, but seemed very specific because he talked about ways in which he would want to see Carolyn die. He said, I would love it if she was shot by a sniper or maybe I could arrange to get her run off the road in a national forest and, you know, go down a cliff.
0: Oh my goodness. What is wrong with this guy? Also, like doing drugs isn't going to be good for your heart, bro. Yeah. So
1: Greg was kind of like, I don't know. I thought he was like joking. It was like some hypothetical game he was playing. No. Which don't guys.
0: Never joking. No one ever says that. If he talks about killing his wife, it's not a joke. No, it's a very serious and he needs help.
1: Yeah. And he said, you know, Greg was not that bad a guy. His criminal record was very petty, small stuff, yeah. but Ken was kind of trying to insinuate maybe Greg could do it, you know? yeah. he's trying to find anyone that he he can. is floating it by everybody. And so Greg said, "I, of course, didn't really take it seriously." But Adriana then dated this kind of scary, really possessive guy who seemed like actually bad news. So my money would be that he actually took Ken up on that offer and somehow things backfired. That is what Greg says happened. But he didn't know any other information about Tony other than his first name and the fact that he was a white guy with brown hair. Okay.
0: <laughs> that doesn't really do much for us. It doesn't help at all. <laughs> in Huntington Beach.
1: So the detectives brought Adriana back in and grilled the ever-living shit out of her First, they did a vocal stress test, and she proved deceptive when asked if she knew that somebody was going to kill Carolyn and Ken. Oh, no. And then they surprised her by asking about Tony. She had had no idea that Greg had already thrown her under the bus, so she was visibly shook when they dropped Tony's name. Oh, yeah. So she tried to say at first that she didn't even know a Tony. Who's Tony? What are you talking about? <laughs> But like the characters in our last episode, she wasn't that great of an actress. Oh, no. She did admit that Ken had wanted to kill Carolyn pretty seriously. She hadn't said that before. Now she's like, yes, he wanted her to die. But I don't know if he ever arranged it. I don't know anyone who would have done this. I certainly wouldn't have done this, clearly. So I don't know. So the detectives arrested her for driving on a suspended license to keep her in jail at that point. Okay. And they were hoping that stewing in jail would potentially make her want to talk more, but they also had to keep her in jail so they monitor who she's talking to so she doesn't tip off Tony. Yeah. She remained tight-lipped about his identity, so they had to do some deep diving on Adriana's background to try to find somebody who could point them in the right direction. Co-workers interviewed said that Adriana had been very open about her affair with Ken. He would routinely stop by offices that she worked at, take her and her co-workers out to lunch. He would always give her cash at the end of these dates. And she was like, oh yeah, he gave me $1,000. He gave me $2,000. He gave me, she would tell people about it, about the things
0: he was buying her. Oh my God.
1: Yeah. They were not trying to hide it at all. And some of her friends, also said that she had a string of sugar daddy type boyfriends, which some of whom end up talking to the police. And there's one guy that's actually on the um, Real Murders of the OC show. He basically said that she definitely was looking for somebody to take care of her. And he wasn't really that interested in like a sugar daddy relationship. He wanted a girlfriend, you know. But that seemed like what she wanted and, and she was going to leave unless somebody was willing to financially provide for her. And that was what the draw was. She talked several times about how Ken had taken care of her. And the same guy said that she did try to play like the naive single mother who was struggling card, but that she was actually very manipulative and incredibly street smart. Eventually, the Stewarts and one of Adriana's other friends said that they had actually met this elusive Tony. Like I said, he was described as a white male in his 20s with a thin build and brown hair. Everyone who met him said that he was unfriendly, unpleasant, and, quote, sleazy. Oh, no. Everyone? <laughs> Everyone who met him. Like the four people that met him. yeah. <laughs> Adriana had met him at the apartment complex she lived in. Tony had reportedly worked as a maintenance man for the complex there. So they met when he just let himself into her apartment to check something. Oh, no. Yeah, and she was like, you can't come in my bedroom. And he's like, watch me. And then that is not a a beginning of a beautiful love story right there.
0: Or is it?
1: (laughs) It's the beginning of some type of story. (laughs) Watch me. Gross. Yeah. So that's how they met. But the steward said that he had disappeared from Adriana's life a couple months after the murders and she had moved back in with them. Convenient. They did know where to look, though. The stewards told the police that when Adriana moved back in, she informed them that she was potentially going to receive some long distance calls. And when they looked at their phone bill, just to highlight all of the calls from North Carolina, and
0: she would pay for those ones.
1: So that's where they think he is. He's somewhere in North Carolina.
0: Oh my God, remember long distance calls? (laughs) Yeah. Do you remember?
1: You couldn't talk to people. Like if it was your parents' phone.
0: I gotta go. I gotta go. It's gonna be so expensive. Exactly.
1: And when you had phone
0: plans where you could only talk at night or specific hours or you got charged more. Yeah. So crazy. We're so old. We're so old. In a storage
1: unit rental by Adriana, the police found a phone bill, speaking of phone bills, that showed multiple calls to a North Carolina number on the night of the murder, as well as photos of Adriana with a guy who absolutely met Tony's description, and they look like they're having a good old time.
0: Good old time.
1: In Adriana's DUI report, which, like I said, happened a month before the murders, her passenger was listed as Tony Satin. Tony Satin had lived and worked at the Avanti Apartments from September 14th, 1999 to December 2nd, 1999. The murders occurred on November 20th of that year.
0: Oh, goodness.
1: The apartment manager said that he was a bad man who liked guns and was fond of waving them around the common areas of the complex. Um, yeah, I think he got fired. One of the residents said that he had roomed with Tony for a while and that Tony was a drug user who was
0: into white power and was an altogether bad guy. Uh, sorry, jaw was dropped to <laughs> way too far down to even say anything. Yeah, the guy was like, he was into white power and rap. It's like, really? Oh my God, wow. Okay, so are you sure that his last name's Satin and not Satan? This guy who had roomed with Tony also claimed
1: that he had seen Tony and Adriana leave the apartment all dressed in black on the night of the murders. Oh my gosh. Did they also have ski masks on? He had commented that they looked like ninjas. And he said that they had replied that they were going on a mission. Oh no. When Tony returned later, the resident said he gave him a shell casing as a souvenir. And he told the roommate that he had received $30,000 for his so called mission. The police were also able to track down the person who had sold this Tony guy, what they believed to be the murder weapon, a 357 caliber handgun. While they're doing all this research, it becomes abundantly clear that Tony Satan is actually an alias. So this is not his real name. So they do not know what his real name is at this point. They know that he is believed to be in North Carolina and he is believed to be a pretty hardened criminal. So they're like, maybe he's gotten in trouble over there let's send his photo and all the information we have on him to authorities all over North Carolina. Smart, smart. And so they get a hit. There was a few detectives in North Carolina who were like, oh, we know that guy and we know him well. Tony's real name was Dennis Earl Godley. Speaking of going from Satan to Godley. Whoa. Yep. He was a 30-year-old career criminal who had been in and out of jail since he was 17 years old. Dennis was actually already in prison yet again in North Carolina when they tracked him down. Over the years, he had been arrested for breaking and entering, larceny, drug charges, whole bunch of them, both possession and intent to sell, possession of a firearm by a felon, assault on women, assault on law enforcement officers, as well as the last one was for robbing a convenience store.
0: Oh my gosh. Yes.
1: The detectives flew to North Carolina to interview Dennis. Dennis confirmed that he had had a brief relationship with Adriana, but nothing more. He dummied all the way up. And I mean, it's not surprising this guy has been arrested 17 times in the last 13 years. He knows how to keep his mouth shut. Yeah. The detectives interviewed Dennis Godley's father, Ed, who had actually been the one to turn his son in. This was a really tough situation for poor Ed. When Dennis was arrested for the convenience store robbery, he'd actually had an accomplice who was a female with him. And they first arrested him, handcuffed him, put him in the back of the cruiser while they were arresting her. Okay. But apparently somebody had left the door ajar. So when they came back to the car, he was gone. Oh, no. He'd escaped with his handcuffs on. Okay. And he had eventually gone back to his father's house to hide out. And there was obviously alerts for him everywhere. And it was on the news. And his dad was afraid that something bad was going to happen to him and himself if his son wasn't eventually caught. So he actually called the police and was like, if I tell you where my son is, will you please not hurt him? And they were like, of course not. Just tell us where we can find him and we'll arrest him as peacefully as possible. And so they arranged to do it in the middle of the night when Dennis was sleeping at his father's house. Oh, no. Which was very heartbreaking for this guy, Ed. This guy, Ed, wasn't necessarily a good guy either. And I think he felt responsible for screwing up his kid. He said that Dennis really hadn't had a shot in life ever and that he had married Dennis's mother when they were both in their teens. I think they were 16 when Dennis was born. And the marriage had ended in divorce while Ed was serving time for safe cracking. So he said that his first wife left him while he was in prison. Ed eventually remarried. He had two more kids, but Dennis was very displaced. He was the only child from that early marriage. His mom, it didn't sound like was too great either. So he didn't really have a home. Like he bounced around to his mom when she was around lived with his dad and, you know, his new family occasionally. And the only place that was really a source of comfort and and any sort of home for him was his grandparents. But it looked like both his grandmother and then his grandfather died in his teens. And at that point, he just, he went from like a not so great kid to a criminal at that point. Yeah. And his dad said, like, at first, I just thought it was like, you know, teenagers do stupid stuff. They, like, rob. They do crap, you know? Like, uh, whatever. I was like, it's just kids being kids. Which I'm feeling like if this guy was some sort of safe-cracking bank robber, obviously he didn't instill the values of not being a criminal in his child. So, of course, he didn't think this was serious. Yeah. Or, like, robbing. (laughs) Yeah. But he escalated clearly from all of the charges that I read from his rap sheet. And now... He's a murderer. So the detectives felt like at this point, they had a pretty good idea of what happened here. So their theory was that obviously Ken had been trying to find a hitman to kill his wife for a long time. There was plenty of witnesses that would attest to that. Adriana wanted Ken single and available to marry. They were both aligned in Wanting Carolyn Dead. And this is my own little conjecture. Because, you know, in the book, they're talking about how she loved him and he would take care of her. She's really kind of street smart and she knows that Ken has a bad ticker. So you bump Carolyn off, you slide in there. You're not going to have to do
0: many years. Yeah. Married that yeah. guy to get yeah. his entire estate. Yeah. Especially if he's like partying and stuff too.
1: Yeah. She, all she has to do is give him a little cocaine every once in a while. So yeah. They thought that that Adriana's goal was to get Ken. Yeah. And she eventually hooked up with this guy. Which this relationship, as it comes out later, was not very long-lasting, this sexual relationship between her and Tony, a.k.a. Dennis. But he would be willing to do the job that no one else was willing to do. Yeah. And at some point, that 20 grand made its way to Adriana or Dennis's pocket, and Ken got double-crossed and murdered. So that's what they think is... Going on here, but they don't really know who pulled the trigger because it, both Adriana and Dennis were wearing black that night. Dennis said he got 30 grand. They don't know where that additional 10 grand was, but it was out there somewhere. And they don't know if Adriana knew that Ken was
0: going to get double crossed or not. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the long term goal vanishes with Ken dead, you know, like, so the cops are probably. She
1: gets a share of this 30 grand potentially. No. But that's it. Yeah. That is definitely killing the golden goose for her. So there's a gut instinct that maybe she didn't know it was going to go down. And, you know, Dennis has been a criminal his entire life. He got the money up front, which, guys, if you're going to pay a hitman, do not pay him everything up front. Yeah. Especially if you are in the car with the person who's intended to be killed. Because it seemed like, Maybe it was out of jealousy, but it seems more like he was just being practical, which is I already got the money. I'm not going to get anything else from this guy. And this guy, the moment his wife is killed, the police are going to grill him and he's soft. He's going to turn and say, oh, I actually hired this guy, you know, and they're everyone's going to go to jail. (laughs) It is not a shocker that Dennis took out Ken as well, which is Ken, buddy, you're going to lay down with dogs. You're going to end up... Usually with fleas, but this time put down yourself. So luckily, Adriana and Dennis are both in jail. So the police don't have to worry about them fleeing, but they can only hold Adriana for a limited time. And the prosecutor did not believe they had a case. They weren't going to try this because they have mostly circumstantial evidence and speculation. Yep. So they really needed Adriana to flip on Dennis slash Tony or they had no shot at him. So they went back to Adriana and they said that they had found Tony, a.k.a. Dennis, in lockup in North Carolina and that he was singing like a bird. They tell her that he said it was Adriana who is the mastermind. I wouldn't have even known this guy without her. Clearly, she connected us. And not only that, she's actually the one who pulled the trigger and killed those two people. Mm. At that point, Adriana has a full breakdown. She's hysterically crying and she says, You know, it wasn't me. I can't believe he's saying that. Ken and Tony plotted together to kill Carolyn, and I wanted nothing to do with it. She said that after that unremarkable first meeting with Tony, they had gotten sexually involved and that Tony had asked her to score some marijuana for him, and she did, and then he wanted speed, and she did, and then she started using drugs with him. And eventually, things got carried away. On one of these nights, they were using drugs together. She mentioned her friend, Ken, who wanted his wife killed. And Tony was all too happy to put a price tag on that situation. So she said that she did connect the two men. However, she begged Ken to call off the hit several times. She claims this. He refused and Tony equally refused and told her that if she did not act as the middleman, he would kill her and her children. Adriana claimed that she didn't actually get any of that money, but he had indeed paid Tony $30,000 and that she brought it to Tony from Ken and three $10,000 installments. So according to author Michael Fleeman's book, which I can tell you guys the name of now, it's called Deadly Mistress. (laughs) Kind of give it away. This is kind of what she said happened the night of the murder. Is she crying the whole time? Oh my gosh, yes. She said that she and Tony had driven down to San Juan Capistrano in her car and that they had followed Ken and Carolyn out to the Ortega Highway. When I saw Ken driving out there, I couldn't believe it. She said, sobbing. I was thinking, shit, what the fuck is he thinking? They drove to a spot on the highway and stopped. Well, what did Tony do? They asked her. Just got out, sobbed Adriana. And then what? And I didn't want to, she said, crying. I was just like looking straight. Did you realize what was happening in the moment? No. In other words, did you realize he had shot both people? No, I did not know what was happening, she said. I just heard the shots and I was like, oh my God. And I wanted to drive away right away. So she then went back into much more detail about how the plan came together and how she, Tony, and Ken had actually even done a practice run on the Ortega Highway. And they had decided that it would happen on the night that Ken was taking Carolyn out to celebrate her 44th
0: birthday. Oh
1: my God, that's sick. It's sick because I bet she was really excited. Like, we're getting back yeah. on track. This is so nice that he's taking me out to a nice dinner. It looked like in their autopsy, their stomach contest, they had shared their meals. That's really sad. It's really, really sad. And it's really screwed up. It's really deeply, deeply messed up. Adriana claimed that she had stayed in her Mazda. She was the getaway driver. Okay. Well, Tony shot the couple. After many gunshots rang out, she said the only other hurt she sound was Carolyn screaming. And then more shots. So scary. So scary. She later said that Tony told her that Carolyn would not stay down. She was fighting for her life and that he had to, quote, put her down.
0: Oh, my God. When
1: she realized Tony had killed her lover while they were already driving away from the scene, Uh... she burst into tears, she said. A few days after the murders, she drove Tony out to the Huntington Beach Pier where he walked to the end and tossed the gun in the ocean. Tony and Adriana had already ended their sexual relationship. Adriana alleged that Tony had moved on with a teenage runaway, and she lived in fear that he would kill her as well until he finally moved back to North Carolina. She claimed that he had spent all $30,000 of the hit money on rock cocaine and other drugs.
0: You've got to be kidding me. Are you serious?
1: I mean, he must have burned through it, or why was he robbing a convenience store back in North Carolina? Oh, my God. Well, going up for the trials, the prosecution was dealt a devastating blow. Adriana's confession was ultimately thrown out because the detectives had violated Adriana's rights during the interrogation. How?
0: So I
1: listened via the Deadly Mistress audiobook to some portion of these interrogations and it was pretty sketch. So she was Mirandized, but she repeatedly said, I think I should stop. I want to stop. I don't want to say anymore. I should probably get an attorney. And every single time through the various interviews, they had said, well, you know, we're going to put you in jail if you don't talk to us, which they ended up doing anyway. Or, if you want to work with us, maybe you can be out of prison by Christmas to be with your children. Oh, and God. every single time she suggested that she was, should stop and get a lawyer or she wanted to get a lawyer, they twisted it a little bit. So she felt compelled to keep going. And then there was a part that the judge talks about in the book that I did not actually hear through the transcripts. But he said also that they had had some intimidation tactics as well, where they essentially said to her, you know, you don't work out something with us and you're up for the death penalty. Or if you don't turn on Dennis Godley, he's going to get out of prison in North Carolina and probably come kill you and your kids. So maybe you should just talk to
0: us. Oh my God.
1: So yeah, there was a lot of intimidation tactics going on here. And the judge was not having any of it. He said that Adriana's situation must be put in perspective. She is a 33-year-old immigrant from Mexico who was abandoned by her mother and who came to the United States. She had no father in her life. She had no experience with a history of police interrogation, as far as I can tell from these records. She is vulnerable, I think, is the accurate way to describe it. A vulnerable person to overreaching by a law enforcement officer. Yeah. Which is really good. I mean, I do not like Adriana. I believe she is guilty in this matter 100%. But what
0: they were doing was coercive. Yeah, that's not okay.
1: So this totally boned the prosecution because Adriana's confession was their whole case. Yeah, However, quite luckily, for God knows whatever reason, she had given a jailhouse interview to a reporter named Bill Rams at the Orange County Register. And she had said almost verbatim the same thing she said in her confession to the police.
0: Oh, no. So
1: they have it in print, on the record, the whole confession. Wow, okay. So now this is still a sticky wicket because Bill Rams did not want to have to testify. Journalists protect their sources, and it's not a good look if, you know, you're not going to get people to talk to you ever if they go away for what they said to you, you know? So journalists do not want their sources or subjects to be penalized legally for information that they gave to them freely.
0: At least I would imagine. In most cases, no. But he already wrote it, right? But he
1: already wrote it, and it was already yeah. It's not out like there. it's
0: like it's not like it's stuff that he's still
1: sitting on. One hundred percent. And also, he published her name and said she said all those things. So yeah, the judge said absolutely it can be included as evidence because we can have the reporter cross examined by Adriana's attorney just like anyone else who said, she told me this is how it happened. Like if she had said this to yeah. a girlfriend, that girlfriend could still testify as long as she is able to be cross-examined, yeah. which they could do to the reporter and they would compel him to be on the witness stand. And ultimately he did testify and he essentially just confirmed what he wrote. Like he didn't give any other more information. He just said, they yeah. said and did she say this? And it was printed in the article. And he said, yes. And it was basically yes or no questions. Yeah. So yeah, it was kept in. However, this is a v- still an extremely uphill battle because there's no real eyewitnesses, there's no physical evidence, the police confession is thrown out, and they don't even believe necessarily that she killed anyone. Yeah, personally with her own hand, you know. So this is going to be a hard one to sell to the jury, and the prosecution's case hinged on two things. One, the newspaper report, and two, basically circumstantial evidence that she was connected to a career criminal and likely murderer and the man who died. So reporter Bill Rams, as well as Dennis's old roommate, Chris, the electrician who had been propositioned to kill Carolyn before, Greg, his parents, and a couple of Adriana's so-called sugar daddy type boyfriends were called to testify for the prosecution. Okay. The defense argued that, yes, maybe Adriana unwittingly connected two murderous men, an abusive ex-con named Dennis Godley and a adulterous asshole who wanted his wife dead, but she could not fully understand what she was doing or be truly complicit because she had battered woman syndrome, okay? Okay. That's what they're going with. They got an expert witness let in who was a psychologist who said she was suffering from this. She had been abused by her parents and multiple men in her life, including Dennis Godley. So they said that she wasn't able, she wasn't in a a, a right state of mind to be able to understand the consequences of putting these two men together. The defense called Dennis's baby mama up and I cannot believe this man had two children. But he did. Somehow, with all of that crime happening and jail time, he managed to have two children. Well, it's not like he was raising them. No, he wasn't. Michael Fleeman said that actually his ex's testimony was very sad because there were multiple police reports that he had abused her and it seemed extremely legitimate. But when she was on the stand, she was saying, oh, I know. I just made those things up because he cheated on me and I was mad at him. So none of it's true. I didn't do it. He didn't do it, guys. But everyone said that it was all of the evidence was stacked against her. Other people testified that he had abused her. Was she scared? I think she was scared. But I also think if he goes to jail, any support he might have given those kids at all, any like pennies he threw her away, were going to be gone. So she is incentivized to not get herself killed for testifying against him. But also she, if if there's any support happening, he would need to be able to send her Emotional or financial. Yeah, there was also another woman who was the cousin of somebody he dated who testified that he had abused her as well. So they're saying, look, this guy's a piece of shit. He abused her. He intimidated her. This is not on her she had been abused her entire life. And the first person who had ever been kind to her was Ken. So she would have never wanted him dead. But she did want to please him. So maybe she did say, well, I'll help you, you know, but didn't think that he would actually go through with it, really. So they're saying that Tony slash Dennis, was the one who took advantage of her connection for his own monetary benefit because there was no record that she got the money from this. Yeah. And they alleged that he had threatened to kill her and her children if she did not drive him to and from the murders and act as the middleman with the money. And they did actually have her on the stand too. And she was crying so much throughout this entire trial that... The judge had to stop several times to ask her if she needed to take a recess, if she needed to get herself together. And he was like, legally, you have a right to be at these proceedings, but we don't actually need you to be sitting here crying. So do you want to just take a couple days off? Your attorney can tell you what happened because she was so hysterical the whole time. So she was also crying on the stand. Do you think it was a lot of a
0: play or do you think...
1: well, that's, there's some speculated that it was for sympathy. You know, it had worked in previous cases that she cried and people went lightly on her. And then other people speculated that it was kind of like when you yell at a toddler who knows they've done something bad and they're crying and they're genuinely crying because they're upset, but they're not upset because they did something wrong. They're upset because they got caught doing yep, something yep, wrong. yep, 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 yep.
0: You know that very well. I do.
1: I do. My daughter is the queen of it. So, yeah. So there's some speculation that either it was for a ploy or it was just her personality. Yep. In the prosecution's close, they asked the big question. They knew that this was going to be a hard one to win. And so they said it just comes down to this legal definition, which is, would Carolyn be alive if not for Adriana Vasco. Would Ken be alive, if not for Adriana Vasco? Without Adriana Vasco, Ken would have never been connected to Tony. So therefore, she bears legal responsibility for their deaths. Yeah, that's hard to say no to. It is. I mean, if you just break it down in black and white like that. So the jury did deliberate for quite a few days. And they asked, you know, they sent out questions about, you know, these legal definitions. And ultimately, they found Adriana guilty of the first degree murder of Dr. Carolyn Stahl, and of the second degree murder of Dr. Kenneth Stahl. Okay. Yeah. So the jury foreman spoke to the press after the trial, and he said, I think a lot of her tears were for real. We felt that as long as she wasn't intoxicated or high, she had to have a pretty good idea that this would
0: happen. Uh, Yeah, I mean, also, like, if, (laughs) yeah, that's, like, the worst come down ever. Oh, God. He said that he did
1: not see Adriana, and the jury didn't, as a battered woman syndrome suffering pawn of two abusive men. We thought that she was a pretty tough, street smart person. At Adriana's sentencing, loved ones of Carolyn delivered moving victim impact statements, and even a handful of Adriana's loved ones spoke on her behalf, asking the judge to go lenient on her sentence, including the Stuarts, you know, the, the parents of Greg. But not a single person spoke for Ken. Oh, no. And what would they say? I know. Adriana was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Shit. She got... Full l I mean, based on the cases we've covered in Orange County, they're brutal there. Yeah. On May 21st, 2004, Dennis Earl Godley, a.k.a. Tony, pled guilty to the first-degree murders of Doctors Kenneth and Carolyn Stahl and was also given life without the possibility of parole. So there was a lot of speculation that they made a deal with the prosecution because they were going to go after the death penalty. And so they believed that there was a deal, but officially the prosecutor's office said, we actually had no official deal, but we believed that life without the possibility of parole was an appropriate sentence and it would spare the family's additional trauma. Adriana attempted to appeal several times, but in the time since her conviction, evidence against her has only grown stronger.
0: Oh, no, really? I was going to, I thought you were going to say opposite and that psychological evidence worked in her favor. No, no. Nope, All right, nope, let's nope. hear it, babes.
1: So they tracked down finally, I guess they had a hard time finding this woman. I think at the time, I mean, a teenager. She was a child at the time. But they found the runaway teenage girl that had been living with Dennis at the time of the murders. Okay. And this was after the trial. (laughs) Dennis slash Tony. And when she was found by an investigator, she evidently said that she was there when they came home from the murders and that Adriana was pretty much as jazzed up as Dennis was. She said that they were talking about whacking that bitch. Godley said, I've got blood on my shoes. And he gave the shoes to Adriana to get rid of, which she was more than happy to do. Yeah. And even more incriminating, she said that Adriana pulled a gun out of a jacket and said something to the effect of, I'm glad the doctor got it too. Which actually goes against... Everything I would have thought, I would have thought that she was genuinely surprised that he
0: killed Ken. Yeah, but if they're like, you know, if they were on drugs at all and- Yeah, all fired up. 30K. We also don't know for sure
1: if there really was only one gun. Yeah. Because there could have been a second
0: one. A third? There were three
1: options. There was three options. There could have been any number, you know, of guns here. And there was lots and lots of shots- Which would imply that if it had been one gun, it would have had to be reloaded, which I don't know if there was time for in this whole
0: mess. Yeah.
1: But yeah, even more inflammatory than that was that Dennis stated through his attorney that if Adriana did receive a new trial, which was up for conversation at one point, he would testify that it was in fact Adriana who shot Carolyn first and that he then killed Ken and had to finish Carolyn
0: off because Adriana didn't do it correctly. And it makes sense that there were two of them, the way that Carolyn was running.
1: Where she was running and how somebody must have come from the other side.
0: And you would
1: think that she's still talking shit on Carolyn in her police interviews. So the fact that Carolyn was riddled with so many bullets would back that story up, Dennis's (sighs) story, because if it was just him... I think he would have done it the same way that he did Ken, which was pretty perfunctorily. So Adriana remains in prison, and Dennis Godley has since passed away of cancer. Oh. Yep. A Daily Republic of Solano County article from June of 2012 detailed the prison's hospice program and featured photos of a very, very, very bad-looking Godley on vigil status meaning that the doctors believed that he had three days or less to live. Oh, my God. Yeah, it also, I didn't find an article about this at all, but he had at some point got some woman to marry him for whatever reason, and she and her mother were allowed to be with him in hospice. Yeah, so he is not living out the rest of his life in a tiny little cell, but karma cancer came for him. And speaking of karma, this was a tough one for Ken's loved ones to deal with because they're mourning the loss of somebody that they cared for. Think about his mother. Yeah. And all of the ugliness was revealed. And he caused his own murder by trying to kill his wife of 14 years who had only wanted to love him.